Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. It's my personal mission to guide you toward your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living HeartStrong. Welcome to today's HeartStrong Podcast. So after my son Ethan died in 2012, I became really curious about something called near-death experiences. And for those of you who might be new to this idea, a near-death experience, or NDE as it's sometimes called, is defined as an occurrence in which a person comes very close to dying or maybe even is clinically dead and has memories of a spiritual experience. You might be interested to know that Gallup says that 16 to 19 million adults in the U.S. have had NDEs. Um, so with advancements in medicine, you know, these miraculous experiences are becoming more common. After Ethan died, I read Dr. Raymond Moody's book. It's called Life After Life. And it was first written in 1975, actually, documenting 100 cases of people who were clinically dead but ultimately survived. And that book was transformational for me when I read it. And, I, and then I started diving into other people's stories. I read the story about a man named Jeff Olson. Um, and he had a couple books. And that, his experience, transformed me also in my grief journey. And I had him on the podcast on May 20th of 2022, if you want to go back and listen to that episode. And recently, my neighbor gave me a book called 10 Life-Changing Lessons from Heaven by Jeff Jansen, who is my guest today. And after that book, I reached out to him to join me on the podcast because I think what he's created in this book is fascinating. So I just want to tell you a little bit about Jeff before we get started. At 42, he had a heart attack. He had a, what you know was called a widow maker, so a very significant heart attack. And this close brush with death made him ask life's big questions, which we all go through when we have a really significant thing. So he was asking things like, what happens when we die? And why are we here? And what's the meaning of life? And have I fulfilled my purpose? Or, you know, will, would I have gone to heaven? You know, what does that look like? And so he dove into research on these near-death experiences and found some really interesting, striking similarities or through lines through these stories. And he ended up putting them into a book, which is the book, um, 10 Life Le Life-Changing Lessons from Heaven. And so Jeff is here with me today. We're going to talk about the book, his experiences. And I really hope that this podcast is a source of comfort, but also inspiration to all of you today. So welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you're here. So I want to dive into kind of the beginning of this part of the story. Um, you know, you've worked in leadership development, you've, you've done all different kinds of things in your life, and then you come to this pivotal place, right, where you start asking these questions. And at first, you, you, you know, were you skeptical? Were you like, well, this is interesting, but like, do I really believe in it? Is this too woo-woo? Like, you know, what was that sort of internal feeling like when you started venturing into this different area of research and, and people's experiences? Yeah, great question. I mean, I have a very practical mind. I've, I've been a business owner. So yeah, I'm very far from the woo-woo. I used to be very skeptical of this stuff, but um, I had picked up Raymond Moody's book as well and had just gotten it at a used bookstore and basically had it in my library. And then obviously when this heart scare uh, situation occurred, I started looking into it and it's like, Hmm, the, these people have had pretty interesting experiences and they're all very similar in what they're experiencing. And they did answer a lot of the questions that I had when, you know, I came really close to death, 
that this is something that these people did did arrive at the other side or heaven or whatever terms you want to call it and they did have a lot of answers for these things so i really started delving into what it was that they were experiencing and it not only was helpful for me but i was really trying i'm one who wants to try to organize the info and okay now how do i live differently or better based on this information that i'm getting so i one thing that just came to mind as you were talking is like i'm curious to know when you were at this point in your life like were you a person of any spiritual background or belief like because I'm asking you this because I know like when we go through really significant life experiences, it kind of upends everything that we often say that we believe. Right. I know that, and I, that happened for me. It's like, I grew up, you know, as a person of faith, which I, I am, but I had to un, unwind a lot of things. So do, were you going through that at this point when you were kind of digging into these NDEs also? Yeah. So I had grown up in a very Catholic environment. Um, you know, went to church, went to actually even a, a Catholic um, college at Marquette in Milwaukee. And I had some courses there that were, you know, we, we had our philosophy and theology courses. There was one that looked more at the Bible, like a newspaper of the times rather than just divinely inspired stuff. So I had been kind of open to different things and I had drifted from the church a little bit, um, just in my practical mind was like okay well i'm not sure if all this fits and then when this nde or when this heart situation obviously happened then i did start looking at these ndes and to me the the spiritual wisdom that people gain and it's thrown at them i mean you're on the other side it's like a fire hose of spiritual knowledge coming at you and for a lot of these nde years it takes them seven eight nine ten years to really figure out what happened? I mean, because the world they thought they knew they were operating in was just blown wide open. And the paradigm shift that they had, that there's so much more going on around us. And our loved ones were there. Many of them do see their loved ones on the other side. Many of them do come, I'm going to use the term face-to-face -face with God or source or again, whatever term people are are familiar with. So it is a very life-changing experience for them. And that comes through every time they tell their story. So yeah, it was something for me that opened up my eyes. I thought, you know what, I'm 42. I don't have to worry about this end of life stuff until maybe 60s, 70s, somewhere in there. And it's like, okay, I came pretty close. I, I, I could be a second away from this or a day away from this. So it really put it in my lap. And I think, you know, as you said in your own life, and I work with a lot of parents who've had kids pass, it's like death is dumped in your lap. You're going about your life. You're thinking things are, you know, you're worried about your to-do list and everything else. And if someone close to you dies or you have a health scare or whatever it may be, these big questions are dumped in your lap and and it's then that you really need to grapple with them
It's true. And it's like, I, you know, I wish people didn't have to sometimes go through those experiences to ask those questions because answering them is so life giving, which I think we're going to discover today in our conversation. So one of the things that really struck me as I was reading your book and even, in, you know, remembering back to Dr. Moody's book was the similarities of experiences across cultures, faiths sort of like life stages and experiences. Will you share that detail? I mean, even those people who are just self-described agnostics or atheists had these like similar experiences, which kind of flies in the face a bit of, you know, some of the things that were taught depending on what faith tradition you grow up in. So just, will you share that part of the, that, the kind of what you learned with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um... Yeah, these, these people, whether they're four years old or 90 years old, male, female, staunchly, staunchly religious or complete atheists, doesn't matter their culture, they're all having very similar experiences of leaving their body and feeling this sense of peace and love and bliss. Some of them will go through a tunnel. They'll end up in an otherworldly kind of world they will meet deceased relatives and friends. Um, some will have angels or spirit guides. And as I said, many of them will meet God. And it's, it's universal. And probably one of the best examples is my friend Nancy Ryan. She's got a great book, Awakenings from the Light, grew up in the Chicago area. Um, and she you know, got basically, she was bicycling and someone was texting and ran her over and basically, you know, temporarily killed her and she woke up on the other side and she was this atheist and she's looking around and she's feeling this love and here's this kind of angelic spirit guide and everything is just you know pristine and beautiful and she's like um why am i here because i didn't really believe in you they're like that's okay <laughs> we're here we're, you get to come to heaven too so yeah it's um it's hard to refute when you have all these different people different backgrounds different cultures different religions all coming to a very similar place and having a similar experience which is something that could be so profound for us in our current world to sort of realize, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, there's so many divisions over over things like that. Um, you know, you came up with ten. You said you like your very logical mind. You like to bring things together. That's kind of how you you innately operate. And so you came up with these ten lessons. So you obviously aggregated things, found the through lines, put them in buckets, and found ten of them. How did you come up with the ten? Like, was it easy? Was it challenging? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that I'd like to try to get in, take in all the different information that's there. So I joined the, uh, there's actually a organization called IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, that is comprised of researchers. People have been researching these now for almost 50 years. Um, I've got a good friend, Dr. Ken Ring, who's going to be 88 shortly. He wrote the book Lessons from the Light and has been a great mentor to me. Um, so he was at the University of Connecticut, and there was another guy, Bruce Grayson, who's been at the University of Virginia, who've been studying these for, as I said, almost 50 years or so. Um, I've gone to their conferences. There's so much now online that's available through either um, videos on YouTube or podcasts, obviously. So you can check out a lot of information there. There's a site called uh, endurf.com. 
uh, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation that has 5,000 plus uh, ND catalogs. So it's easy to get all of this information. So I took all this in and then the way my mind's kind of organized is I look for themes. What are the main themes out of you know now 5,000 NDEs? What are, what are the themes? And to me, almost every NDE out there is gonna have at least one, if not multiple of these lessons that come through. And I did it first for myself so that I could understand, okay, what are the main messages, especially for those of us who are living? How do we learn from these people who've been to the other side and learn what what life really should be all about? And then tried to put them into a framework that made sense for me and then started sharing them with a small group of friends. They made sense to them and like your neighbor saying, okay, yeah, I read this book and I wanna share it with somebody else. It was something that other people wanted to share just because it made intuitive sense out of this, out of these NDEs that are occurring. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to people are trying to make meaning of their stories, right? Everybody wants to do that and make sense of their lives, which goes back to like the life's big questions, right? So you're kind of almost distilling them down for people in a way for them to explore those and see how they can you know, extrapolate that to their own life. I'm curious, did any of like, I'm curious which one maybe surprised you the most and maybe which one challenged you the most of the ones that you came up with? And people have to read the book to get all 10 of them. Yeah, well, well, certainly there one is accept non-judgmentally. And that for me, as I said, growing up Catholic, that there is I was taught there's a judgment day. I was taught that at the end of time, some will be sent to heaven, some will be sent to hell. And yes, there are a small percentage, only about 2% of people would have what they call a distressing or hellish NDE, but 98% of NDEs are extremely positive. I mean, blissful, so just so emotional and so loving. So that was probably one that, okay, what I was taught growing up in my religion about there is a heaven and hell and you better be good and you better follow all these rules. Or, I mean, I, when I grew up, I thought, okay, well, probably about 60, maybe 50, 60% of us are going to heaven, but then that means 40 or 50% of us are going to the other place. So um, that was a surprising one that 98% of these people had had positive ones and they were told I wasn't judged on the other side. I had to look at my life, and I know we'll talk about the life review, but um, they were not punitively judged by God, which could be blasphemous for some people listening to this right now. It could be. It could be. Was there one, um, I guess I said one that challenged you or surprised you, was there one more that you were like, wow, I, I wouldn't have guessed that? Yeah, well, I think the one that ch that challenged me, in addition to judgment, is the forgive fully. That you know, we're we're asked to forgive, and it it doesn't mean saying, okay, what you did was fine. If you hurt me, that's totally okay. That's not the forgiveness we're looking at. But I think so many people with forgiveness, they somebody wrong them, and they keep that with them the rest of their life. There's that old story about the two monks crossing the river. I don't know if you've heard it. And the monks weren't supposed to touch a woman. And there was a woman who needed to get across the river. And one of the monks just kind of basically put her on her shoulders and carried him 
carried her across the river and the other monk is really just stewing about this. How could he break his laws? And they're walking together for an hour and they kind of know that there's, they aren't saying anything obviously, but they're really mad and they walk another hour and finally the monk who didn't carry the woman just explodes at the other monk. How could you have done that? Why did you carry her? And the guy who carried her basically said, well, I carried her for about a minute across the river. You've been carrying her the last two or three hours of this walk. So that story from a forgiveness standpoint is, yes, people are going to hurt us with their words, their actions, physically sometimes. But if we spend the rest of our lives carrying that situation, you know, who's, who's the person who's really brought down by that? So that, that was something that in, in my own life, as I looked at people that I had a hard time forgiving, that was a good story and a good reminder to say, okay, yeah, they wronged you, but don't carry it the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are good. You know, one of the questions that I really struggled with after my son Ethan died was, is he okay? So he was seven. So the questions are like, who's taking care of him? And, you know, uh, these are just questions that mothers ask. We love our kids. We take care of them so much in their bodies. And I had taken care of him so intricately because of his, his illness. You know, what have you learned that provides comfort if someone's listening today and they're just really missing someone that they love? You know, what can you say about how okay our people are on the other side? Yeah, they are so much more than just okay. They are in a world of unconditional love. I mean, that's one of the things that when NDers talk, near-death experiencers talk about their experience, most of them become emotional as they just remember the amount of unconditional love that they are receiving on the other side. So it's not just okay, it's blissful. And, you know, from the descriptions that people talk about, just the the beauty that every tree and blade of grass and drop in a river, as they see scenes on the other side, feels like it's alive and excited to see them and it's glowing from within. And then there are the loved ones on the other side. And even I've had parents, you know, with young kids say, okay, well, my child is only a year or two or three and they didn't, we don't really have any relatives they knew on the other side, but it's neat how people talk about generations of grandparents. I'd never met them, but I knew that they were a part of my family and they were there to take care of me. And, and from the other side too, I guess the other thing that's really helpful is somehow the linear time that we have here does not really apply over there. So for them, things are more of a blink of an eye. It's going to be a quick reuniting from their perspective because they don't have those agonizing days and weeks and months and years that we have as we feel separate from our loved one for them it's like and for them they're still a part of our lives they can know what's going on there a lot of times they're closer to us now when they're on the other or when they're on the other side than physically when they're separate from us so that hopefully is a comforting message for a lot of people that they're more than just okay and they're blissful. We're the ones that are struggling. We're the ones that are grieving and having to deal with this crazy world here. They kind of feel more sorry for us than, than we should feel for them. 
they are well it, they not missing us because they are still with us they're still here they still understand what's going on in our world and anyone i know a lot of parents who've had readings with mediums and mediums you know when their children come through it's like i saw what you did yesterday and they'll bring that up so there's usually concrete evidence if you've got a really good medium showing that they knew what we just did the other day so those are yeah they're still we can't see them we can't feel them a lot of times we may get some nudges or certain things here and there but from everything that i understand from near-death experiencers is they're still very closely connected with our lives and so you said like you know the time is is not the same as us so actually i had this dream after my son ethan died it was probably a year after he died that um i was at an airport and i had to go park the car and he was in the airport and i was running to get back to him and it felt like a lot of time had passed and he turned around in the airport to me and he goes oh hey mom and it was and i and i woke up that and i felt like I just had the sense that like that's like time like it was as if I'm, I met him in an airport like maybe 20 years had gone by for me but like a 30 second it was like he turned around and I was there and I guess I've always carried that with me as like the idea of what maybe it will be like I don't know. Yeah, I think so. For the, for them, there is not that that time gap that the rest of us feel here. Yeah, there there's not the longing because the time is gone, and for them, the distance is gone too because they're they're here. A lot of times, when when end years will leave their body, and Jeff Olson may have talked about this as well as he was wandering through the hospital he could feel what the nurses were feeling and thinking. And he had almost an entire, this is their life experience of understanding where they were coming from and what their challenges were. So, and these were complete strangers to him. So our loved ones for sure can also understand what we're going through and that we grieve them, but they understand and they were once human too. So it's like, okay, they know the ups and downs we're going to have. And, and they know when to obviously give us our privacy and things like that. But yeah, there many times people were, will say they feel closer to us as humans from the other side than they did when we were both humans, basically, or both human beings in these bodies. I can see that. I, sometimes I feel like my son Ethan is... It was almost like his spirit was too big for his body. I mean, his body was sick, but his spirit was incredible. And just even as a human, he was so fun. And it was just like was it couldn't contain him or something anymore. And sometimes I feel like he's m more, I don't know if this, these are the right words, but he's out closer to him or he's helped, like he's able to help me more. You know, I ask him for help all the time. Um yeah. You know, and some days I feel like he's with me and some days it feels very silent, but I don't know. It's just a feeling. It's hard to, hard yeah. to put into words. Well, and I love the way you say that because once, once we do leave our bodies, there's such a sense of freedom and expansion and peace. Probably one of the best analogies I had heard was an NDR said, once I had left my body and they told me you're going back, it felt like I was an elephant trying to be stuffed into a Coke can. I was, so, I was so much bigger than that human body 
And then they said, okay, you've got to go back in there. And, and they obviously get back in, but yeah, this, this freedom we're we're much bigger, um, powerful, expansive, we're spirits. And I, the phrase that I love that really helps me is we are not human beings having a spiritual experience here on earth. We're really spiritual beings, amazing, expansive, eternal beings that are having a temporary human experience. And that really paradigm shifted me because when I grew up, I, I felt like, okay, I'm this human being and I'll go to church on Sunday and that'll be my little spiritual aspect and I'll try to carry that through. And now this just reverses it. Now I'm really this spiritual being that's having this temporary human lifetime. And when I'm, whenever that's done, and it was almost done about 12 years ago, but it wasn't, but set me on the path I am now. And I know, okay, I'm going to get to be expanded again and get to be with my loved ones again and get to be in this blissful state. So that's kind of how I've shifted the paradigm in my mind. Mm -hmm. I actually have that in a frame in my house, that quote, because I think that that I, I feel the same way. You know, when we go through hard times, you know, it's I think it's very natural to question if God loves us. Right. Because I think as humans, you know, we're we're limited. And so, you know, if you're, if my mom, you know, it's, it becomes an if then statement sometimes, like if we're loved, then let's just say, you know, your parents are going to feed you, they're going to take care of you, they're going to make sure you're safe, you know, those are, and I think one of the things I, one of the things I did really struggle with after my son Ethan died was, you know, I've prayed for him, I've done all the right things, I've tried so hard, like, does God even love me? Like, because what kind of a God would allow my child to suffer I mean, he suffered for 13 months in the hospital. He was water restricted. I mean, it was, it was awful. And I'm not alone in having these, watching people we love suffer. It's horrible. And you extrapolate that out to what's going on in the world today. I mean, it's like almost hard to contain the suffering. Um, what did you learn from people about the unconditional love of God? And how can that knowledge help us to sort of live in the lives that we have? Yeah, I mean, I, so many of these end years, again, just that's the first thing that they talk about. And you may have noticed in the model that I put, I put love unconditionally in the center because I think that's probably the most powerful, profound, and, and common thing that near-death experiences were say about this experience is it is all about love. And it seems like we leave the bliss and beauty of heaven and the unconditional uh, love that we have in heaven, we come to earth where things are extremely challenging, both one-on-one -on -one in human relationships, obviously with wars going on and everything else. And we leave the perfection of heaven, but we come here to see, okay, we're going to have bad things happen to us. Can we still choose to be loving? Can we still believe that there is a loving God, even though all the evidence around us is showing us that, oh, is this really the case? So it is, you know, I, I put in there that one of the NDers talked about this earth life being like a spiritual muscle builder. Like we come here to, yeah, we know what we should do when we're in heaven, but when we come here, can we actually choose to be loving even though things are less than loving and then to know, okay, no matter what's happening here, 
we will go back to a very loving place and our loved ones will go back to a very loving place. So hopefully keeping that in mind helps us get through these crazy hardships that we have here on earth. Hey, we're taking a little break because I want to invite you to learn more about the HeartStrong Collective, a nonprofit and social movement I created in 2015. This organization is on a mission to inspire people everywhere to be HeartStrong, and we're giving back to support families in the long haul of raising kids with complex illnesses and disabilities. We're also investing in the next generation, and we're trying to leave this place just a little better than we found it. You can learn more about us at theheartstrong.com. Oh, and while you're there, make sure you visit our shop and check out our HeartStrong merch. If you'd like to learn more about me, my coaching practice, or invite me to speak at your next event, you can visit me at jessicalindberg.com. Let's get back to the show. So would you agree with the statement, you know, based on your research that earth is like a school? I mean, some people say it's an earth school, right? And so is it that we're here to, you know, elevate our souls or our spirits or to learn like, what do people say about why we're here? I mean, that's a question that I think a lot of people ask themselves. I mean, I think you asked yourself that question after your heart attack. Yeah, the the school analogy is a very common one that that our souls come here to learn and some of it is learning you know how to be more loving in my case i'm a type a person and i think part of what i was to learn here and i'm still learning here and far from mastering it but patience so i think each of our souls has certain things that that an earth opportunity or challenge, whatever word you want to use, is going to put us in a ton of different situations where we're going to have to show patience, even though our ego and our personality is like, I have no patience for this. It's like, okay, can you rise above that, come from maybe a more loving experience and say, okay, yeah, the way I'm wired, I would want this to happen right now, but... I'm dealing with other people, they're wired differently. And can you show the patience that you may not have programmed into you with your personality, but can you rise above that? Can you come from your higher self to than your, than your ego self? So yeah, I think that's this opportunity of earth is we get to learn things it's it's practically it's probably one of the most immersive experiences that you have to try to rise above the the chaos and craziness of this world you know one of the things i think the other people struggle with in their life is fear you know a lot of people live in fear fear is very gripping Uh, i know that i've struggled with it as you know when you have something happen to someone you love, you're afraid that's going to happen to somebody else. I mean, my husband and I, you know, I've had discussions with each other. Like we know we're probably too protective on some things or we have a hard time with other things because we know what it feels like to have one of your kids die. Um, you know, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is like not living in fear. Um, and I think fear keeps us from that experience like you talk about us being powerful creators, which I think we are in these spirit. It's like, but we limit ourselves and maybe what we can do or can experience here because of fear. Can you talk about what you learn from people about fear and how it controls us as people and, and sort of the dangers of that in our earthly experience? 
Yeah, we'd be happy to. Yeah, we do have necessary fears. Obviously, if we're coming up to a, a ledge and we take another step, we're going to fall. We need to have some fear there that is a physical fear that's going to help us. But I would say most of the fears in our life, probably as many as 90% of them, are more psychologically created fears that we have in our mind or that person's not going to like us if we do this or I'll you know embarrass myself if I ask this person out so we create a lot of fears in our mind and those are the fears that near-death experiencers learn are ones that hold us hostage from being the amazing people that we could have been had we not let that fear hold us hostage. Um, Anita Morjani is probably one of the best examples there. She's got a great book called Dying to Be Me. And she was one who always said, I worried about what other people thought of me. And I ended up living my life constantly trying to please them and make them happy and not have them mad at me. And I lost myself in the process. And when she had her near-death experience, she then saw, okay, I let fear totally um, impact my life. And I need to now move forward living without so many self-concocted fears in my mind. And I did have a friend who was reading the 10 Lessons book and she was like, okay, yeah, I'm letting some fears get in my way. And she ended up leaving a six-figure job and saying, okay, I'm, I'm not aligned with my purpose. I'm letting fear um, rule my life. And fortunately, she had a spouse that you know, did have a job. So I'm not telling everybody, leave your jobs or anything like that. But you know, she made that decision now about five years ago. And she said it's one of the best decisions she's made in her life. But she had to, she had to take a spiritual jump. And that's what I talk about in that chapter is sometimes we have to break through our fears and, and, and jump to things that there may not be the net always appearing there for us, but we've got to stay true to ourselves and, and not let fears hold us back. Hold us back. In the book you quoted, uh, Jim Carrey, I love that he, he said something like this. I have, so I underlined it. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. And so, you know, we we're we stay in the job, we stay in the house, we stay in whatever, you know, because we're afraid. I had another podcast guest recently. We were talking about changing basically like as an entrepreneur, like choosing to do something new, even if you have something successful, like you have a hunch that it's time to to move on to a new season. And she said one of the things that she struggles with is thinking that the next thing could be better than the thing that she had. It's like our brains default to it's going to be worse. But it's almost like we have these nudges inside of ourselves to push us. It's that's which I think is probably our spirits and our souls, right? And then this human body and ego gets in the way. And then it's fear disguised as practicality. Like, oh, this is working. Just stay in this, right? And, you know, the people that you interviewed did a lot of them make like major life changes as far as like because they were they realized, especially those that talked about fear, like can you what do they do differently that we can learn from? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them really start listening to that inner voice and trusting it and not trying to deny it. And they, they become more aligned with who they are and feel like they're supposed, well, not supposed to be, they want to be in the world. So a lot of them will 
change jobs. They'll move into more helping professions. They won't be as worried about money um, because their, their definition of success changes. I mean, most of us are in this materialistic world of having the big house and the great looking car and the corner office. And that's how the world, this human world defines success. And they find out, okay, this success, I was climbing up against this ladder, but it was up against the wrong wall, the real wall, the meaningful one, the one that I'm going to feel best about is the wall where I am. I have integrity with myself and I'm doing what it is that I like to do and what's my contribution and I'm serving other people. I'm, I'm living more from my heart rather than from what the media tells me is successful. I love that. I think that, I mean, we all come to those crossroads in our lives, right? And I guess if you're listening and you're at one of those, think about letting go of the fear. Think about ways that you can feel in a more, I love that word, aligned place. We know when we're aligned. We know what that looks like. So one of my favorite chapters, there were a couple that I wanted to highlight, but one of them was work purposefully. Because I think that a lot of people struggle to find their purpose, frankly, in this world. Like we want to have a purpose. It's go. All you need to just go online and it's find your purpose, find your purpose. Here's a course to find your purpose, right? Um, and you write at the beginning of the chapter, you said, NDEers are crystal clear that God has tasked each and every one of us with a special and specific purpose on earth. You know, what advice can we learn from those who have experienced heaven about living in finding our purpose. Like, I think a lot of people are sleepwalking through life. I think you have a quote from Oprah that says that in the book, you know, how, how can we find our purpose? Like, is it, are we making this way more complicated than it has to be? Yeah, I think many times we are. And that's what one of the NDEers said. You mean doing the things that I love and, and, and the things that I have gifts for, that that's part of fulfilling my purpose? And it's like, yes, you, each of us was given certain gifts each of us were given certain interest and passions in life and if we can learn to follow those more so we're going to then be aligned with our purpose and i think the other challenge that i've heard from a lot of people who who read this book is so many of us think this purpose is okay i've got to be president of the company or i've got to be principal at my school or pastor at my church again we get sucked into this earthly definition of success and purpose that i've got to have a nonprofit that's a thousand people strong and serves 10 million people and a lot of times these end of years say you know what one time I was actually, it was a person who was volunteering in a hospice and there was a woman there who liked to eat graham crackers. And after the woman would eat graham crackers, she would like to kiss the arm of the person who fed her the graham crackers. And most of the people in this hospice, I was like, oh, that's kind of gross to have them do this. But this one girl would go and do this and she would allow the woman to kiss her arm and in her life review, that was like the biggest service purpose aligned thing that she had done in her life was just simply feeding this woman graham crackers and having this woman kiss her arm at the end. So I think we need to understand that the little conversations we have, the little ways we serve our parents who might be in a tough situation or our neighbors or whoever it may be that all of these things are 
part of our purpose and are absolutely celebrated on the other side. Whereas here on earth, it might be like, oh, that's gross. I would never want to do that, but it's part of your purpose. So I think it's, it's understanding purpose is much more in these little, what we consider little things are actually big things on the other side. Well, I think it's also that story makes me think like that woman was not necessarily in a, like a young, vibrant body, you know, who, where everyone would want to hang out with her and see her. I mean, I have a son that's fully disabled and I can vouch for the fact that, you know, people like those kind of people are unseen often, the elderly, the vulnerable, the disabled, but they're here for a lesson too. And I think they're here to help us learn, you know, some particularities about love and I think that's a really interesting that that was like such a big part of her life review. So let's talk about life reviews because you brought it up. I think this is a good spot to talk about it. it tell us what people experience as a life review. What is a life review? Um, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, it, it's my favorite part of a near-death experience. The most fascinating part to me I actually wrote a whole book after this 10 lessons one. I'm like, I'm diving deep into this life review because I think it really teaches you about what is important and the massive impact that your life has. So let me back up and talk about what is this life review then. So as you are transitioning from this earth world to heaven, you get the opportunity to essentially relive and re-experience your entire life. Most people, it's their entire life. So you get to see your first steps as a child. You get to see riding the bike. You get to see your first kiss whenever that was. You get to see not only all the good things, but you get to see the arguments that you may have had. You get to see whether you, and I'm going to get a little emotional here, but whether you walk by the homeless person who was asking you for money or whether you stopped and had a conversation with them. So all of your life's happenings, events, words, even thoughts, which is mind-blowing, you get to re-experience again. And you re-experience those things from kind of a higher level and you relive your life, but not only do you get to see your own life and feel everything from your perspective, but you get to see and feel everyone's life who you impacted. So the, the questions that are always tough for me is I will get to feel what it was like for to be married to me from my wife. I will get to feel from my son and daughter's perspective what it was like to be parented by me. I will get to feel from my mom and dad what it was like to be their son. And you take this to coworkers, you take this to neighbors, you take this to any situation, we will feel, see and feel the impact we had on the world, both positive and negative. So it's just, I mean, I get overwhelmed just trying to describe it right now, but you get to feel all of that. And again, going back to the school analogy that you mentioned earlier, it's not done to torture us for the, the bad things that we might have done or less than loving things that we might have done, but it, it shows us how when we chose love, how that impacted the short-term people, 
But the other thing with the life review is we do get to see the ripple effect. So Mary Neal, who some people might familiar with, yeah, to heaven and back, she's got a, a couple great books out there. But she said in her life review, if she said something negative to someone, she not only felt what that person felt in the short term, but she then felt how that person took their anger or disappointment and then transmitted that to somebody else. And she could said she could see 15, 20, 25 times removed one thing that she did and how it rippled across a community, across the world in what she did. So it really shows you how much your life, your words, your actions matter, not just in the short term, but do have a ripple effect in other ways. So you can tell for me why it is both fascinating and most of the people who read the book, and you might be able to, to add to this as well, this life review, knowing that you're going to see and feel how you impacted the world, a lot of times gets you to just pause a little bit and say, do I really want to say that right now? It's going to be good to get it off my chest, but I'm going to feel how I treated that other person and I'm going to be the first domino that this could fall 15, 20, 25 times down the road. So it doesn't always work for me. I still get mad. I still get frustrated. But there's a lot of times that I'm like, um, how would you want to feel in that situation and treat that person that way? Yeah, that's such a good question to ask because that's powerful. And so I wonder too, you know, if you talk about heaven or hell and people have had positive experiences, I mean, if you live a life, you know, doing pretty terrible things, that'd be a pretty rough review, right? And so something to think about. It is, exactly. And that's um, Peter Panagor is one who talks about in his uh, near-death experience, he felt and experienced all the negative. And that, for him, was like hell. It, feeling what he made other people feel, either intentionally or unintentionally, was a very hellish thing for him. So in that way, you know, maybe there is a short little temporary hell as we feel what the negative things we did to others, but we also get to feel the positive too. And it's all done to teach us and to really help us learn, okay, what, what would love have looked like? And a lot of times in the life review, will also get shown, hey, if you just said it this way or use this tone of voice, not to say, oh, you did it wrong, do it better. It's like, oh, okay, if I had handled that that way, then this probably would have not been the issue that it was for much of our life. Wow, that's incredible. And and it kind of just shows you, you want to, if you talk about God loving us, I mean that we're created and able to do that. And that's a very loving thing, like that each of us is so unique and so precious that we're able to have that experience, I think is really, that's really powerful. I want to ask you about what people that have had near-death experiences say about evil in the world. Um, you write about that in the book a little bit. And I think a lot of people will make the case or people that struggle with any sort of faith or belief, they'll say, you know, well, there's not a good loving God in the world because there's bad things, which, you know, if you, we could go down a rabbit hole even with that one, right? Because um, I don't think God never really promised that it was going to be easy here per se, but I mean, that's somewhat idealistic, but people do say that. What, what is the, what do people say about evil and struggles and 
How, how do you, how have they made sense of that? Yeah, um, Eben Alexander is probably one who talks about okay, there is evil in the world. There, we do leave the bliss and beauty of heaven, and we come to a world with dualism in it positive and negative and hot and cold and all these opposites and we do as human beings have free will choice if god fully is going to love us he or she whatever word you want to use here it can't say okay you have to think in a certain way you've got free will to choose and a lot of the evil that comes from the world comes from people who are making choices that are more selfish or more unloving or ego-based to protect themselves and look out for themselves. And that's where the evil in the world can come in is it's human beings who have been granted free will and have been given egos and personalities that they make choices that look out primarily for themselves rather than understanding that we're all connected. And that's one of the big messages end of years talk about too, is when we're here in this world, it's like, you're there, I'm here, we're separate. You're a different color skin than I am. You love maybe a different group of people than I love and all that. We feel like we're all separate. When we get to the other side, we find out how interconnected we all are with each other. And that this separateness that we feel here, we feel very much a oneness over there. So it, it kind of gives some examples of why the evil is there because we all think we're separate and we just look out for ourselves rather than trying to help everybody. It's like that human limitation almost, right? That result yeah. of that. You know, I, we talked, we touched on this a little bit, but I just, I just want to revisit it for a second. You talked about um, viewing hardships as spiritual muscle builders. And I love that concept. I think that's such a good way to think about it, you know, that we're really here to strengthen our soul. So when we experience all these different things, it's not, oh, Jeff, you're so terrible. You're being punished. You have to go through this. Instead, it's more like, I love you. You're building this beautiful soul. And I kind of, I mean, I, I think of our challenges as almost like portals, right? To, to becoming more of who we are here to be. Um, is that something that NDEers feel? Do they have a different perspective on those, like, this disappointments or hardships? Yeah, they, they do when they get the chance to look back on them. I, I can't tell you how many parents who've had kids pass say, I am a different person after my child's passing. And is my child's passing a good thing? Absolutely not. It, it's not something I wanted, but I have become a deeper person. I have become a kinder person. I have looked at things so differently now that it cracked me open spiritually and in many ways, I am a better person after that. And I, the analogy that made a lot of sense to me is why would any human being ever train for an Ironman triathlon and put themselves through all this grueling running and swimming and biking? Or why would anyone ever go through the craziness of medical school and having to learn all these things and having all these sleepless nights 
And it's like, why would we put ourselves through that torture? Well, we do that because in the end, we know we're going to be stretched. We're going to grow. We're going to be able to feel a sense of accomplishment. And we're in a medical case, obviously, we're going to be able to help other people. So the things that we wonder, why do human beings torture themselves with Ironman triathlons and, and medical school is similar to our souls. Why would our soul go through the torture of a human lifetime? Well, it's to expand. And I believe it's the, um, I may have his name wrong, but Robin Dronath Tagore has a quote that says, when the string of the violin was being tuned, it didn't really get it. But once it was tuned, it understand it understood why it went through that tuning. And I think our souls are similar when we are just being put through the ringer and we have no hope and we wonder how in the hell would a loving God do this to me right now? Afterwards, once we're tuned, once we've gone through that ordeal or crucible, then afterwards we can look back and say, yeah, that was absolute hell, but at the same time, I am a different, I am a better person through all that. Yeah. I would say yes to that in my own experience. Yes. It's both and, right? You know, you wouldn't, yeah. I always say this, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't trade it. That's kind of how I, how right, I say right. it. So, yeah. I want to talk a minute about suicide because that is something that you address in the book. And, you know, I want to address it because we're living in an epidemic of loneliness in our culture, depression, addiction, people feel hopeless. Um, I, you know, not too long ago went to a funeral of a friend's son, you know, handsome 20 something kid who was very depressed and, you know, and it was, uh, it made me think of, I, of, I was actually prepping for this podcast right after his funeral. And, you know, so there's people feeling that there's also this idea of God's unconditional love, which is we've talked about in which people experience this blissful love, which I think people are longing for, um, it can be hard to believe that or feel that when we're in a really, really dark place. And you did talk about a woman named Angie in your book um, who did attempt suicide and lived. And I'm wondering if you could tell her story and maybe talk directly to someone who is thinking about leaving this world before they finish their purpose and how, yes, the bliss is great, but they have purpose here and we need them. So I don't know if you can just tell Angie's story and a little bit about what she learned. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, and a couple things triggered there. What's kind of um, surprising that m not many people may know, but Raymond Moody, the guy who you mentioned at the beginning, Life After Life, he actually had a suicide attempt as well. And yeah, exactly. It's it's not very well known. And he said, I now understand the darkness that people can be in and how that can be considered an option in those situations. But so many NDE people who've attempted suicide during their NDE, they will really realize how important their purpose in life is. And that story that you mentioned with Angie Fenimore is her name. Um, I believe when she had attempted her suicide, her son was about five years old or so. And she not only in her life review saw her life 
but she saw had she completed suicide that her son was going to really struggle with obviously her not being a part of his life and he was going to really have a lot of struggles in his life and the way she said it is he was only going to make it up to 20 years old if she had gone to the other side and died which you wonder okay would he have then taken his life at 20. so she was able to come back in that situation and and obviously see how important her life was not just for herself but her son and made significant changes in how she wanted to live her life and her son was supposed to she saw how i believe he was supposed to be in the healthcare world and that if she had cut her life short she was cutting his life short and all the people that he would have helped had he gone on to be in the healthcare field so you talk about ripple effects here she's seeing generational ripple effects of how a choice to end her life early would have not only had on her but her son and all the people her son could have helped had she stayed around wow that's profound yeah it is pretty that's profound profound that's yeah. profound. Yeah. I just wanted to address that because I, I think people get in a really dark spot and, you know, and even when something really hard happens, I mean, you kind of don't care if you live or die. I mean, though, that's the truth. And, um, I mean, I, you know, I remember flying home after my son Ethan died on the plane and it was really bad turbulence. And I was like, and his body was on the plane. And I was like, the best thing is that this plane just went down and we all just died because, it, the pain was so bad. I don't want to feel it, you know? Right. And so I think people do get to those places, but I also want to give them a perspective that there's work for them to do and that their, their life has purpose and that, that there is a ripple effect. And, and equally, if parents are listening and their child has committed suicide or someone that they love, that they are living in love, right? And they are living in love where they are and that they're in that fullness and, um, that they're okay. I guess is also an important message to, to give to. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked a little bit of before about the call to forgiveness. You know, I, I, I just want to go back to that just for a little bit. Um, I have a few more questions before we wrap up. But, you know, that's a really hard one because it's hard to forgive people who do terrible things to us or, um, and you know, and, and even if you look at the world and you think about all the wars, like I was talking with my husband, he's like, the problem is everyone's just revenging against everyone else. It's like an eye for an eye for an eye for an eye. I mean, it's, ne it'll never end right until somebody cuts that off, which is incredibly challenging and honestly, very un like it's not a reflex in this human body. You know, I mean, think about it. It's, it's just not, um, the rage is real. And so, um, you know, what insights, you know, have you learned, I guess, could you share a little bit more about what people learned about the importance of forgiveness and how maybe that ultimately obviously doesn't say everything's okay, but that helped their own soul. You know, we always think about it as for somebody, it's for us. Forgiveness is for us. And, and that's the best way to have it. I think I have in the book a, um, a quote by Lewis Smeads that forgiveness is basically, you know, letting the prisoner go and finding out the prisoner is you. And most of the time that, yes, we do have frustration with other people who hurt us. And I found that it's not even hurting us, but if they've hurt our kids, that can even be a 
tougher thing to forgive if they hurt one of our kids or somebody close to us. And the thing that I think really made sense to me is they were saying the word forgiveness means to untie the knot. And untying the knot, it goes back to that monk story that I shared before. When we have someone who hurts us, if we keep thinking about that situation, we in essence tie ourselves to them. And I had someone who hurt me from a business standpoint and just really was someone who was hard to forgive. And I, I usually try to walk 90 minutes every day. And when this happened, I was thinking, okay, 85 of these minutes of walking, I spent thinking about this person and going over. And I mean, the thing had happened probably nine months before that. And and then I said, okay, well, I've, I've tied my knot to this person. This is the last person I want to have a knot tied with. So I started working on, okay, well, let's get that down to 70%. Let's get that down to 50%. Let's get that down to 20%. What she did was still wrong and I did not like and still was bad, but it's like, okay, do I want to keep carrying her with me? this entire time. And now it's to the point of maybe once every couple months, I'll think about it. But I was letting that dominate, you know, 80, 90% of my walking time was caught up with that person. So I think, as you said, forgiveness is releasing yourself from it more. So yeah, if you can release them, that's great. But it's more untying the knot that you have tied with that person. I love that idea of untying the knot. I actually listened to a podcast not recently with a um, medical intuitive, and she was talking about visualizing sort of like cutting a cord between you and people who are taking all of your energy from you. So it could be a forgiveness situation. It could be other things, but really almost imagining that cord. And then it's almost like having all that cord recoil to you. You know, if you have something that like a stretch thing and it recoils back, uh, that visualizing that I is reclaim taking the energy back from that person. We give away so much of our energy when we're angry. I mean, I've been in situations and there was stuff with my son Ethan's case medically that it took me years to be able to figure out how to let go of people I was angry at that I felt had made really poor decisions and could have potentially had a different outcome for him. It was it was incredibly challenging. It still is some days for me. I still struggle with it. There's people in particular I think I would struggle to physically see even 11 years later. But I love that idea of like severing that energetically because then we don't get to do all the other things that we've talked about on this podcast of living fully and and experiencing this world and loving people. I mean, it's something to think about. And, and I think our loved ones on the other side are probably also nudging us to untie the knot and let it go and live your life, live your purpose. Don't get all of your time and energy and focus, as you're saying, all caught up in other people in something that, yes, was bad, horrible, horrendous in the past, but you still have a life to live. You still have contributions to make try to get your focus on that moving forward. And they're telling us we're perfectly fine up here. Yes, we know you're mad down there, but <laughs> we're perfectly we're fine. fine. We're fine. I want to talk uh, a little bit before we go about what our loved ones want for us. 
on the other side. So people we love die. We start nonprofit organizations. I'm one of them. Um, we do things we feel like, and there are people who feel like they have to revenge the death of someone. Um, people put tattoos on their bodies. They put signs on their cars. They have, I think some of these are, are, are rituals that we need as humans to work through and to give love and, and to make sense of it. But I think sometimes something that I've come to recently is like, I'm my son, Ethan's legacy, who I am, how my family lives, how we operate. It's not what I do. He doesn't need me to do any of it. Um, but I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They might not even realize they do. What, what do you think they want for us while we're here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is, so actually I've got a new book now called Comforting Truths from Heaven. Yes. You shared two chapters, which is incredible. I, I yeah. haven't read it yet, but I look forward to it. Well, and it's because I've worked with so many parents who've had kids pass, transition, die, whatever words you want to use there. And I kept hearing the same questions. Are they okay? And will I see them again? And these questions that you're asking right now is, are they still a part of my life? And what do they want for me moving forward? So there's a Dr. Seuss quote that says, when something bad happens to you, you can do one of three, three things. You can let it destroy you. You can let it define you or you, and more or less you can let it develop you. So in that, in that chapter, I have seen so many parents who understandably so when they first lose someone and not even a parent, but you know, anyone, if we lose someone close to us, even pets, sometimes we're, we're destroyed and understandably. So our life has been turned upside down. Our heart's been broken in a million pieces and we are absolutely destroyed. We have no idea how the world can go on. We have no idea how we can go on. And we have this phase that we are in where we are destroyed. And for some people, that could last a lifetime, that they're absolutely destroyed. And I've had so many parents, and you've probably experienced this too, where you're defined by that death. And it's hard because the circle of friends that you have, some people are like, oh, I don't want to bring up his name, and that might make her sad. So they retreat. And you have other people who step up and are willing to say things. And I've had so many people say, some of my best friends are mere acquaintances now. And some mere acquaintances have become absolutely lifeline best friends for me because our society doesn't know how to handle death. So you become the bereaved parent. There's the bereaved parent. Do we see anything? Do we still invite them over? Their kid would be graduating with our kid right now. Do we invite them as part of that. So there's all that kind of awkwardness for the rest of the world, not knowing how to quote, deal with you. And there's sometimes a loss there and you become defined by that loss. But then there's some special people and I would put you as one of them that yes, you go through, you're destroyed, you're defined to some degree, but then you're also developed by it. And you, as we were talking about earlier, you're cracked open, you're exposed to different things and different people and different viewpoints, and you 
you follow your fascinations and you look into things that maybe you wouldn't have looked into before and you start podcasts you maybe wouldn't have done before and you do a lot of things in an effort not only to help yourself and answer your own questions but those same questions that you have help a lot of other people and help answer a lot of their questions and you end up becoming developed by it so i think all three of those things happen or can happen but i do see some parents usually not the ones who are in my groups but i'm talking to other parents saying I went to this bereaved parents group and there were people there that it had happened 25 years ago and it was like it had just happened yesterday and they were still stuck in basically that destroyed or defined stage. And, and they said, I didn't want that for myself. I wanted a different path moving mm -hmm. forward. And that's really what I would guess our loved ones want for us, right? They want the development. Exactly. That's what they want. They want us to develop. I think... I, on that idea of, of, of defining, I think that's a very interesting comment because, you know, I have a son that died, I have a son that's disabled. I see both of those communities as places where people, they, that's like the t-shirt that they want to wear because they're comfortable there. And instead it's like, how can this transform me? And when we choose to be transformed by something, something really cool happens that I think you talked about earlier is that we become connected to other people that might not have the same story as us, the same life experience, but have chose a similar path. And so that's where we realize that we're actually all much more alike than we are different when you get to that development phase, right? If you stay in that defined space or that destroyed phase, you're living in silos across diseases or experiences or identities. And that's something that I've become really passionate about and even struggle to say sometimes, I don't want to offend anyone, but I am so hellbent and so sick of being identified by any of these things. I want them to be part of me, but I don't want them to be all of me because there's so many more interesting things to talk about and to think about. And I'm totally 100% sure that my son Ethan is like, mom, you are not here to be like, I'm a mom with a kid who died with, from a heart defect. I mean, that's part of him that that when you say he was too big for his body because he wanted there he was about something bigger right and so i think you know for people listening you know it might be hard to hear but maybe it's an important thing to check ourselves all of us so where where are we are we destroyed developed or defined knowing that your loved one wants you to be developed which is hard to do when you're sad uh, it, it is and and yeah, and, and I and I, I want to make sure to say, okay, someone dies, you just need to be developed the next day. Uh, no, absolutely not. You're right. You're you're on your own path, you're on your own time schedule, but that's just kind of a, a big look. And I'm so glad that you brought it back to what is it that our loved ones want from us. They know we're going to be destroyed for a while. They know that that love is there, but they're okay. As we said, they're they're totally fine. They know that a lot of the rest of the world is going to define us by their death. But they're like, you know, I'm, I was so much more than my death. There was so much more to me, our life, our relationship, the things we did. I was so much bigger than that death time that we had. And yes, I'm still here. I'm cheering you on. I can't wait to see you when you get to the other side. But mom and dad and friend and grandma or whoever it is, you've got things you need to do. And I'm 
right there with you, encouraging you to share your gifts and to do the things that are, and to laugh again, and to do the things that bring enjoyment to you, because that's going to have a ripple effect with other people. And we'll meet up again. We'll, we'll be there, but I want you to continue to share what it is to, to live your purpose here. That's beautiful. And I agree. I think that's, that's, that's where it's at. And again, yeah, I want to reiterate it. It's not an immediate thing. It's years. And, and you toggle back and forth between those things for a while. You kind of go from the destroyed to the defined, back to the destroyed. And there are days, even when you're in the developed place, that you still go back to those other two stages for a couple of days at a time here and there because because it's about love and we love them so of course there's the missing and the sadness and the wishing my son Ethan would be a senior in high school I have a lot of friends whose kids are getting ready for college and going to homecoming and I'd be lying if I didn't say it's it's hard because I wanted to see him do those things it's painful but I I also have a different perspective of of what his role is in my life now, and they both can sit together, but doesn't mean it's not hard. I have you know it's okay to toggle. I guess is what I want to tell people too. Yeah, exactly. Especially as you see the other kids where he would have been, or when their birthdays come around, or their death dates come around. All of those are natural experiences to have for sure and you got to let yourself i know every year back to school i start to feel really crabby it's not because i gotta get everything ready for my kids it's because you start to think about your other person so i just want to give people validation for that so i just as we kind of start to wrap up i just wanted to ask you you know how this project has changed you as a person as a husband as a father um, you talked about being able to sit with your mom as she died just i'd love to know a little bit about just how you're different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hopefully am different. I still have a long way to go. Um, the life review is something that, that comes to mind that before, if I saw a homeless person, I may have thought, okay, well, I'm not giving them money. They're lazy. Get a job. Now, if I know I'm going to a place where there'll be a lot of homeless people, I will purposely get five and 10, sometimes $20 bills that, I've got, and I will not just give the money, but I will ask, what is your name? Where are you from? And, and, and look them in the eye and try to treat them as if they were my son or daughter or my whatever. And it's different in that regard. And I, I just, I try, I'm not always successful, as I said, to try to come from a higher perspective on things. Um, there was a guy who actually reached out to me from San Quentin prison, emailed me about some stuff. And I always call it old Jeff, old Jeff, before learning about Andy and new Jeff, old Jeff probably would have ignored him or just not, you know, done anything, but new Jeff decided, okay, he's, he's a person as well. Ended up having a relationship with him while he was in San Quentin for a while. He got out about a year ago. Um, and he now, you talk about a ripple effect. This guy is working in an organization in Denver, and we are now working with a thousand high school kids in Denver to teach them leadership. And we actually went back to San Quentin two months ago. He also created a partnership with the San Francisco Giants and the San Quentin baseball team in the prison. And now they're being sponsored by it too. So this guy about four or five years ago that I could have ignored has now 
impacted 3,000 people in San Quentin with this baseball program and 1,000 people in Denver by us deciding to take a chance on each other and partner up and work together. And I, I, I said, old Jeff probably wouldn't have done this. New Jeff is open to these opportunities and trying to accept people non-judgmentally and choose compassionately even though in this guy's past he had done some quote not so nice loving things very some very unloving things but i i'm trying to forgive him fully and i'm sure the people who he hurt are trying to forgive him but they're having a hard time understandably so so those are just am open to people and things and situations that honestly i probably would have judged in the past yeah, the lad is an amazing story. That's an amazing story. So the Heartstrong podcast is really about who we become and what we create from the adversities that we face and the adversities that we witness in the world around us. And so the question I like to ask all my guests as we wrap up, um, and I have one thing for you after we do this because I want people to be able to find your books and stuff like that too. But mm-hmm. you know, what do you like about yourself because of the challenges that you faced in your life? So like, what's more beautiful about Jeff because of the things that you've gone through and who you are today. Like, yeah, what do you, what's just something that you're like, hey, I like this about me? Yeah, well, it, it probably, so I took my daughter with me to San Quentin. Um, so we're, she's in behind the walls between, you know, with 3,300, I think, are in San Quentin now of people who've made some poor choices in their life. And and I'll get a little emotional here too. I said, you know, I've, you'll, you'll probably remember me for a lot of different things, but I want you to remember me for this one, for sure. That, that, you know, we took a chance on some people that a lot of times people don't take chances with and won't forgive and, you know, to see them as evil people. But as I said, this guy now has impacted tons of people. So just that being open to, these experiences and hopefully leaving a legacy with my daughter that you know there's love love can can change a lot of things and can conquer a lot of things and this was just one example of trying to step up and do that it changes people's lives right yeah in there yeah so tell people i the books and where they can find them because i know people are going to want to dig more deeply into you know maybe the 10 lessons and some of these other things i have not read the ripple effect but i'm going to read that because i really think that that's powerful well thank you for that so yeah i've got a new book which actually is probably the the best one for people to start with especially if you're grieving someone or you have a terminal diagnosis it's called comforting truths from heaven and that is based on as i said before all of these questions that people who have a loved one die want to know where are they are they okay are they still a part of my life are they going to be judged were they alone when they died all these questions that just torment so many people and I give all of these answers, comforting answers from near-death experiencers. So that's probably a good one to start with. And then the 10 lessons takes all these NDE accounts and puts them into 10 different practical um, ways of living and loving that hopefully those of us who haven't had an NDE can learn from. 
And then your life's ripple effect is a deep dive into the life review and how that can not only help us when we're on the other side, but even more so help us live in love when we're here. And I actually had a lot of parents say, I wish my kids could get this info sooner. So I've got a children's book. It's probably for kids like from seven to 14 called What You'll Learn in Heaven. And basically a young boy loses his grandmother and he's sad, but he ends up talking to another girl who had a near-death experience. And she assures him basically that your grandma's okay and life goes on and we all have a purpose. And it's beautifully illustrated by a angel artist out of San Diego. Um, Karen Tarleton is her name. So those are the, those are the books and life lessons from heaven.com is my website. So if people want to learn more about those books or look at our discussion groups, we do a lot of discussion groups with these as well too. life lessons from heaven.com is probably the best place to go. Well, great. Well, gosh, Jeff, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for giving us your time and for sharing your story um, and for sharing these books with us. I, they're, they're life changing. And I just thank you for bringing them to the world. My pleasure. And thank you for the work that you're doing too. And getting these messages out to people who can really use them. Hopefully it provides them with a bit of inspiration or comfort or hope, especially when things, especially in the world right now, are looking pretty dark and bleak. There's always a sense of hope and there's always a sense of love. I hope so too. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on the HeartStrong Podcast. You know, I'm on a mission to help people live full and purposeful lives. So if one of these episodes is spoken with you, will you help spread the word by subscribing leaving a review and sharing an episode that you love with a friend. I know your time is precious. So thank you for sharing it with me today. And just a reminder before I go, your life and story have great purpose. Don't forget it. I'll talk to you soon.